0: Well, thank you. I am um, back from a 19 day pilgrimage across Ireland and Scotland. And I actually recorded a message for you while I was at the airport in Glasgow, Scotland, but we were unable to transmit it. Um, And so it seems to me like the Lord himself stopped it. And hopefully there's um, something slightly different that I think I should say this evening. By the way, it's uh, it's past my bedtime here in Alabama. And uh, while you will move on with the day, I'm going to go to bed when this is over. This is only possible because I have jet lag from my long trip to Scotland. But um, I, I'm actually rather nervous uh, doing this live uh, on a Zoom call. I hope it all works out. But as, as mentioned last week, I talked about the fact that the CBMC ministry is really all about living among the pagans. We don't isolate ourselves. We live in the marketplace. We live amongst our unbelieving neighbors. Uh, Richard Samuel, that was a beautiful message on evangelism. Uh, You reminded me of one of the things that I used to say all the time, which is simply that we should never, ever preach sermons. Um, uh, most, uh, most, we should simply be available to answer questions. You know, unfortunately, a lot of sermons are just um, answers that, to questions that nobody's asking. And the truth is, we need to live a life that's so different. We need to live a life that demands an explanation. We need to live a life that causes people to ask us questions. How do you do this? And people will ask those questions because we we face all the same problems that the world faces. We have children that die. We have spouses that die. We have financial problems. We we have anger issues. We have issues with everything that the world has, and but we we handle it differently. And the people and, and men and women should be asking us questions: How is it that we handle it? So. I wanna remind you what I said last week. We're the the man in the middle. We're the person in the middle between the kingdom of heaven, Jesus Christ, and um, the kingdom of this earth, which is lost people. I mean, I played golf today. This is still Friday in Alabama. I played golf today with two very lost people. They didn't know it, but I was doing evangelism. We didn't have any religious conversations, but I was becoming better friends with them during three hours today on a golf course. They've asked questions in the past. They'll continue to ask questions and it'll be, um, it'll be fantastic. So Ian White, by the way, who sang <clears throat> for you, um, many years ago, I met him, <clears throat> excuse me, I met him at a church in Madras. Um, or Chennai, of course. Met him at the Methodist Church in Madras. He was singing. I think probably Richard Samuel and I were just going to church there on a Sunday morning and met him. We've become dear friends now over the last 30 years. Most of the songs that he sings are actually the Psalms. Psalm 124 really got me thinking. I visited Ian in his home in Scotland just two to three weeks ago and uh, I asked him, we asked him to sing these two songs for CBMC's conference in India, and he was only so happy to do that, and um, he picked out Psalm 124. Uh, what if the Lord had not been on our side? Oh, my. What if the Lord had not been on our side? The good news is that he is on our side. It may not feel like it some days, but the Lord is on our side, and so Because of that, I started on my pilgrimage to read uh, Psalm 120 through 134, which is uh, a group of psalms called the Song song of Ascent, because they were were written for the people of Israel to sing on their way to the temple, on their way to Jerusalem. They were going up, 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 a song of ascent up the mountain to Mount Zion to visit the temple. Pilgrimages, of course, are very common in India, are they not? Uh, the, our Hindu friends, they, they love their pilgr- pilgrimages to various temple places. Of course, Madurai, where Richard lives, is the temple city. Uh, and I have been on this pilgrimage for the last 19 days. Uh, I turned in a rental car two days ago in Glasgow, Scotland. I asked the lady, how many miles did I put on the car? And she said, 2,109 miles I put on a little car. Had a stick shift, driving on the wrong side of the road. Nobody driving for me. I did all the driving myself. I was on eight different boats. I was on seven different airplanes. And that doesn't even count the two days that I spent uh, in Ireland, but during those 19 days while I was on a pilgrimage across Scotland, I dove in to Psalm 120 through 134 um, because those, those psalms are very special. Uh, I recall a, a book that I wrote, se- I said that I read several years ago by E. Stanley Jones, If you take nothing else from this talk, remember that name. If you have never heard of E. Stanley Jones, uh, you need to know about him. He was a missionary in India. Um, He wrote almost 30 books. And one of the last books that he wrote is is called A Song of Ascents. Um, Dr. Jones wrote the book when he was 83 years old. It was his spiritual autobiography. And he used the song of ascents as a way to describe uh, his life. And uh, I always think it's important to listen to somebody's last words. If somebody's 83 years old and knows the Lord, you need to go talk to them. Find out what they might have to say. I'm only 70, so I'm barely worth listening to. (laughs) There's got to be somebody older than me worth listening to. Uh, but when somebody is older, maybe even their last words, you need to listen to them very, very carefully. And so uh, on this um, um, th- this pilgrimage, I had a chance to get reacquainted with East Stanley Jones. I had a chance to get reacquainted with the Psalms. And quite frankly, because I knew this meeting with CBMC India was coming up, I had a chance to get reacquainted with... Um, with India. Now I'm gonna take you on a small journey here. I'm gonna try this, I'm not sure it's gonna work. Um, I'm gonna try to show you some, I'm sitting in my office in Alabama and I just wanna show you how much I love India. Here we go, I've just flipped the switch on my phone. I haven't changed anything. Uh, This is a picture of Sister Angelica. That's a whole story that Richard Samuel can tell you someday. Uh, This is a picture, by the way, of Richard when he still had hair uh, and Mother Teresa, and that's me (laughs) wearing a t-shirt on that particular day. Uh, This is a picture of my friend, Sam Babu in Cody Canal with little Timmy Samuel, who was 12 years old at the time. We were trying to play some golf that day. And then one of my most special pictures is uh, Richard's father, P. Samuel, along with um, Timmy. And we were actually, we were actually in P. Sam's home, if I remember correctly, or maybe Richard's home 20 years ago. And little Timmy in that picture, by the way, was hugging It looks like just a pole, but he was actually hugging a cross. I remember saying at the time, wow, little Timmy doesn't even understand how much he's going to need that cross. (laughs) Someday he's going to understand how much he needs that cross, as we all have. Richard is so right. This is about Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for our sins. We're not better than anybody. We deserve nothing. That's what E. Stanley Jones' autobiography is about. He says he deserved nothing, but God gave him everything with a capital E. It's so true. And so I just want to take you through some of the psalms very quickly. Uh, we could spend a whole week on, in, in these psalms, but I'm going to do my best to dive into uh, just a handful of these psalms and leave you with a small outline that you might be able to remember because my main points all start with an H. That proves that my father was a preacher because I learned to do little tricks like that. But the first one is Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We we are useless. We need the help of God. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never sleeps or stumbles. The Lord himself watches over you. My little trip to Scotland proved this point. I was without my wife. For many of the days I had traveling companions, but some of the days I was by myself. And my goodness, while I was there, I, I realized how hopeless I am and helpless I am. I need God so much for even the little things. I thought I had lost my passport for two days. I got caught speeding, a policeman pulled me over for doing 47 miles an hour in a 30 zone in a little town. I almost got arrested. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully he, 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 was, he was merciful to me. I drove two hours to get to a ferry to make a crossing and discovered the ferry was closed because of coronavirus, I had to turn around and go back. I missed another ferry because I got there five minutes late. And then I discovered some dear friends in Scotland that again, proved to me that we need the, we need God's help. So desperately. I, one of my good friends there is a pastor in Scotland. He told me that he only sleeps about two hours every night. He's depressed. He's, he's going to get out of the ministry probably, but he, You know, I tried to help him by just saying, Man, your hope is in the Lord. God is here to help you. He's watching over you, but He He's in a state of mind that he could hardly hear me. And so we all live a very busy, crazy life, and we need we our help comes from the Lord. The other thing that I learned on this trip, Psalm 122. My second H is the word house. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I went to several churches on this trip and I've had to repent. Richard, that was a good word. I've been saying now for about 20 years that church buildings are not very important. I've even said at times that going to church on Sunday morning was not as important as some people think it is. Well, I'm repenting of all of that <laughs> um, because I've had quite an experience in the last couple of weeks. Um, I Went to first of all, I went to Holy Trinity Cathedral in St. Andrews. St. Andrews is the home of golf, of course. But I, when I went to a special service there two Sundays ago, the Holy Trinity Church—it's where Tom Morris was an elder—and the pipe organ that was a gift from Bobby Jones, a very famous golfer—the pipe organ was playing, and I, um, uh, it was as if it was as if the building itself was speaking to me. Later I realized it wasn't the building speaking to me, but it was the spirit of people who who have worshiped there in the past that was speaking to me. The program from that morning, I'm holding it in my hands. Welcome to Holy Trinity. And one of the the, um, hymns that they sang that morning, I found myself weeping as we just simply sang this hymn. Uh, God, we praise you. God, we bless you. God, we name you sovereign Lord, mighty King whom angels worship, father by your church adored. All creation shows your glory. Heaven and earth draw near your throne, singing holy, holy, holy Lord of hosts and God alone. True apostles, faithful prophets, saints, who set their world ablaze, martyrs, once unknown, unheeded, join one growing song of praise while your church on earth confesses one majestic Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, our hope eternally. My goodness, these words just reminded me that there are martyrs who have gone before us, there are faithful prophets who have gone before us. There are saints who have set their world ablaze. There are true apostles who built these buildings <laughs> and built these churches. We didn't invent this Christian faith in the last couple of you know years. This has been going on forever. And then I left Holy Trinity Cathedral, went to the Orkney Islands. I spent four days on the Orkney Islands. I would be the only person you've ever met who's been to the Orkney Islands north of the mainland of Scotland. And I was there um, for a purpose I'll tell you about in just a moment, but I've I've written a novel that actually takes place in the Orkney Islands. So I was doing some research for my novel, but one of the things you find in the Orkney Islands is a magnificent cathedral called St. Magnus Cathedral in Kirkwall. Uh, It took 300 years to build this cathedral. Uh, it was started in 1150 and was completed in the 1400s. Keep in mind, there's only 20,000 people that live on 70 islands in the Orkneys, but this cathedral is mammoth, huge, and so followers of God have been doing this, have been doing this, this worship experience way before we were ever even thought about, and then. Um, not just these magnificent cathedrals, but another little church I love in Scotland is just called Fisherman's Hall. Our first trip there four years ago to spend a couple of months in the summer, we were just taking a walk and we passed a little building called Fisherman's Hall. I wish I could show you a picture of it. It's a simple little chapel that seats 40 people. Sue and I go there when we're in Scotland for a little service at eight o'clock on Sunday nights. And I preach there on occasion. 1892, it was built as an outreach evangelistic mission to fit to, to uh, uh, fishermen in the North of Scotland, in a little town called Brora, B-R-O-R-A. There's about 20 people that worship there on Sunday nights. I always join them when I go there. And it's the building itself speaks to me, but it's not really the building itself that speaks to me. It's the people that built that place. It's the people that go, to, that, that, that go there. And then uh, this trip to the Orkney Islands was really got kind of crazy because on last Saturday, while you were having your convention, your conference, I was spending an entire day with some monks. There's an island in the Orkneys called Papa Stronse. Last summer, Sue and I were walking around Kirkwall, and we ran into two monks. I took up a conversation with them. I said, what order are you with? Father Martin was his name, and Father Martin says, oh, we're sons of the Most Holy Redeemer. I said, hey, I'm a son of the Most Holy Redeemer. <laughs> well, they sort of smiled a little bit, and they're, they're, of course, their question was, are you Catholic? I said, No. But I met Mother Teresa twice, you know, thanks to Richard Samuel. And I told her my Mother Teresa story about how um, I was sitting with her along with Richard. And I was congratulating her for all the good she's done in the world. And Mother Teresa, (laughs) she leaned over and touched me on my elbow, which was her way of telling me to be quiet. Um, And then Mother Teresa explained the gospel in about 15 seconds. Mother Teresa said this, she says, I'm not good. And she raised her eyes to heaven. And she said it so softly, I could barely hear her. She said, Jesus, I'm not good, Jesus. So I told the monks that story. And I, I said, are you, are, would you ever uh, permit visitors? And they said, well, sure, we would permit visitors. And so uh, it, this island only has 180 acres. It's a very small little island. They have their own special little boat about the size of my bathtub to get over there. And so my friend and I, Carter, we made arrangements. And a long story short, we spent last Saturday with the monks. There were six monks there. That's all. And this is what they say. Now, we attended mass with them. They have a special service for... Um, Every, on the 25th of every month, which this happened to be, they always have a special mass and processional for the baby Jesus. Basically, they celebrate Christmas once a month, which I thought's a pretty good idea, actually. But I, if you look on their website, they say something that's very profound and worth remembering. And Richard, what you said about evangelism um, fits here, if you listen carefully. This is what the monks say. And by the way, I disagree with a lot of their theology. Believe, (laughs) We we don't agree on much of anything uh, in many ways, but this is what they say. Fundamentally, our message is this. Remember, O Christian soul, that time passes quickly and you too must soon die. Be judged and enter into your eternity of heaven or hell. You have only one soul to save that is your chief nay your only work for what does it profit you if by your work you gain the whole world which must soon end and lose your immortal soul in an in an eternity of sufferings that will never end what exchange can you give for your soul there is none at all costs then save your soul wow (laughs) Now they go on to explain that the saving of your soul involves being a good Catholic. In fact, the next sentence says, lead the life of a good Catholic for there are many bad Catholics who will lose their souls. And then it goes on and on to say that there are certain things you have to do. That's where I part company with my dear friends, the monks, because I agree with Richard. This is not about what we do, whether it's in evangelism or in our good works to save us. This is about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief of sinners. And so I put my trust in my faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, uh, because of that, there is, there is hope for me. Now this, this house, though of the Lord is interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this to where, uh, where I normally go with this uh, idea, Which simply is this, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it makes it very clear. Paul talked about the the temple of God, the house of God. And he said in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? Uh, I think I saw there's 50 or 60 people on this Zoom call. All of you are the temple of God. Peter said it a little bit differently. He says we are living stones. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, and we are the living stones building the house of God. Um, But Paul, Paul says, we are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you. Now, listen to this. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Oh, my. The temple is not some building that we attend church in, as wonderful as they are, as inspirational as they can be the true temple of God is you and me, is you and me. Of course, Jesus talked about this. It actually got him crucified. If you actually analyze the trial of Jesus Christ, uh, they couldn't find anything he had done illegal worthy of crucifixion until Matthew 26, 61 says, Two men came forward. Of course, in the Jewish world, you had to have two witnesses. And they testified, this man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And they asked Jesus, was that true or not? And Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you will see the son of man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus agreed that he had made that statement. And it was that statement that actually got him convicted and crucified when he said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Of course, um, he built it in three days. Luke 21, 5 says the disciples were discussing the majestic stonework of the temple. But Jesus said the time is coming when all these things will be completely demolished. Not stone, not one stone will be left on top of another. And sure enough, Matthew 27, 51, when Jesus was crucified, do you remember this? Most people forget this. Many people have never thought about this, but there were earthquakes. The temple robes, the the temple curtains were split in half. And the Bible tells us that the dead came out of their graves. Uh, This event in history, this crucifixion earthquakes the dead came out of their graves and walked around jerusalem we forget this oh my the temple was indeed destroyed but jesus christ jesus christ rebuilt it if you will in those three days and then i want to just remind you before i leave this idea of the house of god that uh, there is coming a day when you won't need the house of god revelation twenty one twenty two. We got Paul talking about the temple. We got Jesus talking about the temple. We got Peter talking about the, the, the living stones in the temple. And now we got the Apostle John. What did he see in Revelation 21, 22? Awesome verse. He says, I saw no temple in the city. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon. For the glory of God illuminates the city and the lamb is its life. And then he goes on and finishes the sentence though, with only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life will be in that city. Well, let's, why don't we just pause here for one second and at least ask the question, is your name written in the lamb's book of life? This is not a man's book of life Uh, This is not your church's book of life. This is the Lamb's book of life. There's names there. There's some absent names. There's some people that are probably going to miss the boat. You know, I missed the ferry. I told you one of my problems (laughs) last week is I got to the ferry five minutes too late. Do you know what the feeling is when you pull up to a ferry and the boat is leaving and you've got things planned that day that you know you're probably going to miss because you've missed the ferry. Oh my. It's a sinking feeling. Oh my. Well, I got just a little bit of understanding of what it may be like for some people at the gates of heaven. The door is closed. It's too late begging and pleading. Won't get it done. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Maybe yours is, but maybe you've got family and friends whose names are not written in that book. Oh my, it's time. It's time for you to begin weeping for them. Psalm 126, right in the middle of the Song of Ascents, is awesome. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return. From the harvest, oh my! The first key to evangelism is to cry. Is to weep. Are you weeping for your family and friends? I believe that the, the our, it is your tears that drop into the soil that enable growth to happen and a harvest to happen. That's the that's the next H is the harvest. Uh, Jesus wept for his friend Lazarus. Jesus wept for his city, Jerusalem. And lastly, of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus wept for the world. Even though I was playing golf today, there was a couple of times when I found myself weeping just a little bit over this man I was playing with. He said a couple of things, and I just thought, oh boy, (laughs) he's so lost. I need to start weeping for him. All it really means, all those tears mean is that uh, you really care. Isn't it awesome that God created us in such a way that tears reflect both our joy and our sorrow. And so it's time for us. If we want to harvest, we're going to have to weep for our friends. Psalm 128, I'll cover this just for two seconds. It's called the marriage prayer. Uh, God, the true head of the home. This is called the marriage prayer. I'm reading from my NLT study Bible because it was often sung at Israelite marriages. And one of the sentences in here simply says, well, how joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Hey, I'm going to speak to the men for just a second. I know there's some women on this call. Amen. Hey, <laughs> if your wife's not everything you think she should be, it's because you are not everything you're supposed to be. Um, I'm going to give you the name of a book you need to read. It's called The Garden of Peace. You know, I don't know anything more special, any, anything more desirable in life than a home that's full of peace. The Garden of Peace, it's not even a Christian book. It was written by a Jewish rabbi. His name is um, uh, Rabbi Shalom Arush, A-R-U-S-H. Find that book on Amazon. It can change your life. Makes it very clear that it is the husband's responsibility (laughs) to make sure that his wife becomes a fruitful grapevine. It's not her responsibility to fix herself if she needs any fixing. It's your responsibility to be the man you're supposed to be, and God will give you a garden of peace in your home. Oh, my. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, Psalm 131, I'm going to move along because humility uh, is, what, is what we need. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Brother Dominic, the primary monk that I spent those nine hours with, told me something that i'm going to remember he said the devil attacks us in proportion to our lack of humility he thinks being humble and being having humility is the number one key to knowing god i'm not going to disagree with him at all isaiah 66 2 says god is looking for those with humble and contrite hearts for me this has always been difficult because i've had titles (laughs) how about you (laughs) you probably do too uh, I was a lawyer. That's kind of a title in and of itself. We're called the Honorable, you know, Tim Philpot, H-O-N. Um, lawyers in India, wear robes, you know, to distinguish yourself as somebody special. You know, we, it's kind of hard to be humble when you're so special, isn't it? And then, of course, I was a senator for eight years. It's really hard to be humble then. Then I was the president of CBMC. Wow, what a nice title that is. And the best of all, I, uh, you know, I ended up becoming a judge so that everybody has to stand up every time I walked in the room. And now for the last three years in retirement, I'm finally for the first time in my life living with no titles. So it's a little bit easier to, um, to be humble. But I realized at age 70, I have mostly failed at this my whole life. I've been so proud. I could tell you about all the cases I won. I could tell you about all the great things I've done. And I do it in a humble way. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't try to appear to be bragging, but I'm, I get it in there. I work it into the conversation. But oh, my God is looking for humility on this journey. And lastly, um, the last H I've got for you from Psalm 133. It could be the most important one in some ways for a ministry like CBMC. It's about harmony. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Oh my, we need harmony. Uh, I've lived long enough to see that every single institution I've ever been a part of, including CBMC, has disunity and it kills the organization. It kills the life of everything that's happening. My trip to Scotland proved it again. There's the main church there that I, I connect with is the Scotland Free Church. Well, they broke off from the Church of Scotland because of 2% of theology. They don't even know what the 2% was anymore. I discovered my main two persons I was counting on to help me with a certain ministry in Scotland. I realized they weren't, uh, I wasn't hearing from them like I thought I should. When I got to Scotland last week, I discovered why uh, they don't even go to church together anymore. They don't like each other. They've had some falling out. There's no harmony they can't talk to one another and they wouldn't tell me what's wrong I said I wouldn't understand and then I met a wonderful guy oh he's just a sweetheart of a pastor up in the Orkneys I told him I was writing a book and he says, oh I've just finished writing a book yeah what's your book about he says I says what's the title of your book he says not the church and he went on in a nice way to explain that he was explaining why everybody else is wrong. <laughs> And then even the monks, I could tell they didn't really get along with each other. Uh, disharmony is, is going to ruin CBMC India someday if, you're not, if you don't take, take this to heart. Above all else, <laughs> love each other. Above all else get along with each other. I've always loved CBMC because it's a mixture of people that agree to disagree about so many different things and politics and religion and theology. We agree about this. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. And we present this Jesus in the marketplace. It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist or Methodist or Catholic or what your religious take might be church of South India, the church of North India, Pentecostal, nobody cares. There's nothing anybody's going to care about. The main thing is to be united around Jesus Christ. And so I'm just about done. I've mentioned help, house, harvest, husbands. I forgot that one. That's the marriage thing. Humility, harmony. I got six H's. And I'm going to just close with this. Bottom line is what Richard was talking about just a little bit, but Psalm 123 is all about mercy. Psalm 125 is all about putting your trust in the Lord. Psalm 130 is about forgiveness. Uh, Psalm 130 is about forgiveness. Let me just read that real quick. Um, Lord, boy, boy, boy. If you kept a record of our sins, who, oh, Lord, could ever ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I'm counting on the Lord. Yes, I'm counting on him. I put my hope in his word. Um, My goodness, Richard's so right. Evangelism is just forgiving people, explaining to other people where we found this forgiveness and we found it in Jesus Christ. Now, last week I kind of said I was the man in the middle and I'll finish with this thought. You know who the real man in the middle is, don't you? Jesus Christ, hanging on a cross. To his left was a thief. To his right was a thief. I've thought about this a lot because I've spent some time in politics, and the left is on the cross and the right is on the cross, and they're both thieves. Believe me, they're all thieves. (laughs) If they're in politics, they're thieves. But Jesus is between the left and the right. He's not on the left. He's not on the right. Don't let any preacher tell you different. Jesus is the man in the middle. He's suffering. He died for the left and the right. He suffered and died for the good and the bad. My dear friend, Brother Dominic probably fits in the good category i'm hoping he's saved i don't know anything for sure he does all his religious stuff does it very dutifully but um jesus certainly there are a lot of people that have to be saved from their sins but there are some people that need to be saved from their goodness they're relying on their good deeds to get them to heaven So Jesus is there for those people just as he is for the horrible, horrible sinner. And so Jesus has got good guys on the left and good bad guys on the right and bad guys on the left and good guys on the right. And he's in the middle of it all, suffering and dying for all of us. So no one is lost. Is so lost that Jesus can't save them. And no one is so good that they can be saved without Jesus. Oh, my, what if the Lord had not been on our side? Hey, I'm going to do one thing to close. I'm going to put a hat on. Found this hat just a few minutes before we started this call. Uh, you can see on the hat, you actually cannot see it very well, but it says Cody, K-O-D-A-I. I got this hat in Cody Canal. I was in India two years ago playing golf with a, with a, a guy named Murrigan, wonderful Hindu guy, good golfer, sweetheart of a man, a gardener. Not a big businessman at all. Uh, seemed to be a very faithful Hindu kind of person. I couldn't, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't get a great conversation with him. But when we got through playing golf, I was wearing a hat. And he was wearing a hat. And I said, Murrigan. I said, um, let's exchange hats. I gave him my golf hat. I said, I like your hat. I want your hat. Would you give me your golf hat? And he did. And I wear it often. I wore it today. And I said, every time I wear your hat, Murrigan, I'm going to remember to pray for you. Would that be okay? I prayed for Murrigan and his wife and his two children in the parking lot at the golf course at Cody Canal. I hope he knew that I was um, not trying to convert him on the spot. I was just trying to be his friend and tell him that I had found forgiveness. And if he needed forgiveness, it was available. Oh, my. That's all it is. So would you pray for Murrigan? Would you pray for uh, and pray for yourself that you would begin, if you haven't already, to reach out to your friends and your family with tears to let them know that Jesus alone can save. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Oh, Lord, (laughs) Psalm 124. what, What if the Lord had not been on our side? And what if the Lord had not been by our side? That's me on that cross. One of the guys on the cross turned to Jesus and says, oh, save me. Have mercy upon me. The other guy still thought he had it all, even though he was on a cross. He he couldn't ask for forgiveness. He couldn't ask for help. He thought he would just do it on his own, even though he was hanging on a cross. Oh, God, don't ever let me be that way. You are, in fact, the Son of Man in the middle, offering salvation for all of us. What if you had not been on our side? What if you had not been by our side? Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. God the Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth and your Holy Spirit to give us power to live this life. Now, Lord, I thank you for CBMC in India, the leaders there. Bless them. Send them out from this conference as a mighty force for the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.